Welcome to the MUFG Global Markets Podcast. I'm John Cook, and I'm joined today by George Goncalves, MUFG's head of U.S. macro strategy. It's Tuesday, May 23rd, 2023. Welcome back to the podcast, George. Thanks for having me back on. Yeah, good to have you. Um, and as always, there's plenty to discuss in the macro world. Um, why don't we first explore the most pressing matter, which is, of course, the, the debt ceiling. Uh, you know, as you know, we're a little over a week away from what is referred to as the X date, uh, you know, which is which is being which is sort of being approximated as June first. Um, you know, as many of our listeners know, that's the date where the U.S. Treasury runs out of cash in the Treasury in the Treasury General Account, or TGA for short. Uh, negotiations are ongoing and certainly uh, have have heated up with Biden returning uh, m- m- abruptly, you know, cutting his trip to Asia short and uh, returning. I believe it was on Sunday. Um, plenty of headlines today and in the next couple of days. Situation is obviously very fluid. But George, why don't you give us our, your latest take on where we stand with regards to the negotiations, um, as well as some likely scenarios that could play out in the coming days um, and the potential market implications for those various scenarios. Yeah, no, it's definitely a fluid situation. So I'm glad you pointed that out. We need to acknowledge that, you know, obviously this podcast is being recorded in a time where negotiations are live and, and things can change in a heartbeat. But I think um, given that, you know, we're in that one week or so plus window, um, you, one, one would expect that at this point, there's some gelling of what, sort of deals starting to take form. Um, and, you know, this debt ceiling discussion has felt differently, at least in my opinion, from what I've experienced, uh, you know, really since <laughs> the start of my career, they've gotten more contentious, especially after the financial crisis, uh, the 2011 being, being the most noteworthy one. Uh, and so, you know, in comparison to what you know typically has happened in these debt ceiling negotiations, uh, it's, you know, there's been a lot of uh, there'll be a lot of just brings, brinksmanship, and sometimes there's acrimony, and, and and it feels like things are not getting done. Whereas this time, it's almost as if they're, they're taking a new tact of you know, really saying that they're working towards it. They're you know, people are feeling optimistic, but yet they're not really giving us any specifics. And so it's really you know the market's taking it at face value that we have to trust that there's you know, progress being made. Um, so one must assume that you know a deal is in the works. Um, you know, however, you know, the clock is ticking and at the same time, you know, I think we're starting to come around to the idea that, uh, you know, although default would be, a, you know, a really, uh, you know, difficult thing, uh, for markets and for the U S economy and global economy, most likely they can avoid default too. So I think people are starting to get their arms around the idea that perhaps the default is not really on the table anyhow. And that's why the markets are, are, are sanguine. That said, uh, we have seen, you know, markets start to get a little bit nervous as the as the you know, the clock keeps ticking. You know, this is Tuesday, um, and we have uh, a long weekend ahead of us. And so, you know, my view, uh, very simply, is that if we don't get more details or evidence that there is a deal being formed before Wednesday night, early Thursday morning, there's not much trading days left in the week for markets to kind of get uh, more defensive and and. And take more of a risk posture that something doesn't go as well into the into the early part of next week. Um, you know, speaking of um, you know what could be the worst case scenario would be some sort of prioritization of payments. Uh, I, I don't think we have to get there. I, um, 
you know, it's it's either a longer term solutions being uh, worked on, or you know, what's still in the background, a short term suspension that could get us into September. You know, suspensions won't count towards the debt limit, so they can then continue to issue debt and then re up the overall uh, debt limit once there's a a bigger a better deal in place. And so I think that there's options to avoid the worst case scenario. Number one. There's um, you know, hope hope towards a bigger deal, but the fact that you know there was you know two months without real negotiations, and we're talking about some really complex matters where both sides are pretty much on um, opposite opposite ends when it comes to spending as well as raising tax revenue. I, I, I'm, I'm I'm hopeful that they get something done, but I'm also hedging our hedging uh, hedging myself to the view that perhaps it's a short term deal versus a long term deal. Uh, either way, once we get through this um, in the coming week or so, uh, the U.S. Uh, Treasury is going to have to uh, issue debt and pay back some of these extraordinary measures that they tapped into. And that plus just funding the deficits on an ongoing basis you know, will require a lot of treasuries. And so I think what people are failing to realize and are, I think, underappreciating, although it's an a potential imminent danger as we get closer to the limit and, and, the, and the window of the X date next week. And perhaps the bigger issue is what happens afterwards with this draining of liquidity, you know, right into a period where you know, rates are really high for the U.S. We haven't been here for many, many years. And then what that might do for you know, overall financial conditions. So I'm taking like one step further, assuming that this gets done in some form or another, and then focusing on more of the implications of, yeah, what what gets done afterwards? Yeah, I love how you ended on that point, and this is something we've talked a lot about, you know, offline. But you know, and you've mentioned, you know, so you have huge amount of bill issuance potentially once this gets resolved. That drains a ton of liquidity. Um, you also have, you know, banks presumably pulling back. You know, you have rates higher, as you mentioned. Um, we've talked about how the, uh, you know, how there's also liquidity being drained in Europe with the TLRTOs, you know, pandemic-related TLRTOs uh, getting paid off. I think that's in July, if I'm not mistaken. Being a Japanese bank, we always are mindful of the uh, BOJ abandoning yield curve control, which is obviously de facto tightening there. Um, you know that that's a lot of tightening going on at the at the same time. So um, yeah, really really good point there. Um, so switching topics uh, somewhat, um, but obviously all interrelated. Uh, the Fed is always top of mind, um, but has taken a backseat to the debt ceiling here. Uh, assuming you know the scenario laid out, you know uh, plays out. You know you're right. We avoid a default. There's a resolution whether short term, long term, but we get it, you know, in time, uh, the focus will inevitably turn to the Fed. Um, and in particular, the minutes from the May FOMC meeting, which are released on Wednesday, May 24th, um, which is likely as uh, likely the same day as most of our listeners are uh, listening to this podcast, um, as well as the upcoming June FOMC meeting, which is being held on the 13th and 14th. Uh, ahead of these events, some recent Fed speak has been, you know, particularly hawkish. Um, I guess I'd be curious your take on that latest Fed speak, um, as well as sort of what you're expecting from these two events. Um, you know, given this, you know, hawkish rhetoric, uh, you know, given what the minutes are likely to look like, you know, does the Fed pause in June? Yeah, no, uh, there's a lot going on on the, Fed, on the Fed front as well. And I think we'll turn turn to that uh, once that ceiling is resolved for sure. Um, you know, recent Fed speakers, even you know, centrists like Logan, um, have sounded and felt a little bit more hawkish. And you know, but at the same time, there's been a number of other Fed speakers that are open to the idea that this you know credit channel tightening 
uh, could be equivalent to a number of hikes. And so I do think that um, you know, heading into this next meeting, uh, you know, it's going to really come down to um, – you know, how you know, the debt ceiling gets resolved. Uh, is there any sort of kind of spillover into broader market financial conditions uh, to the downside, that is? Or is there kind of a relief that it's over uh, coupled with, uh, you know, we still have an NFP as well as CPI before the next meeting. Uh, but by, by and large, I mean, uh, you know, our view, which, uh, you know, hopefully our, our readers and, and, and listeners know, is that the Fed most likely is done tightening and that the May meeting was the last one that they're going to take into account th- this credit tightening as well as the you know, the long and variable lags of all the policy tightening that was done uh, already. Uh, but you 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 have to understand why the Fed, uh, as well as just Fed speakers collectively, you know, have perhaps turned more hawkish in their speaking. I think they need to talk tough in order to ensure that the policy that's been put in place remains effective. In many ways, uh, you know, I've you know used the analogy: a body in motion stays in motion. But when you pause, you really have like you know you have to kind of defend your position of like why are you at these high rates and why aren't you either hiking more or why aren't you cutting like the markets are expecting. And so you're gonna you know, just sitting there doing nothing and defending your position. You're gonna have to then use you know uh, you know speeches and forward guidance in a way to kind of uh, convey that this is the reason why you're you're at these levels of rates. And that's harder to do when you're not in motion. You're kind of just sitting there defending your position. Um, so I think you know that's probably why we're getting this uh, uptick in Fed hawkishness. I don't think it's necessarily um, indication that they're going to have to continue um, their their hiking. And um, we um, we also have um, the uh, you know the, the the June meeting ahead. I'll give a really brief mini preview because we'll we'll spend more time on it. You know, last last week on Friday, Chair Powell, uh, on the other hand, sounded a little bit more dovish versus all the other Fed speakers. We've also now have the R star, which is almost like the North Star for long term rates, which is the uh, neutral level of rates where um, you know the Fed thinks that rates are not uh, expanding or contracting the economy. Uh, you know, perhaps that long run dot uh, the R star because it's back up and running at the New York Fed. You know, perhaps it's it's higher. You know, we have a more inflation uh, frictions in the market, uh, and things perhaps have changed post pandemic. That the you know the real cost of capital, the real rate, is actually higher, and, and therefore it, it requires a longer term uh, higher dot on the long run side. So you know, if the Fed were to skip, which we think they will in June, it could be a hawkish skip because they could you know, change the path on their expect- expectations for rates down the road as well as where the steady state will be um, you know, in the future. So I think if that were to happen, it's, it's slightly bearish long-term rates, a little bit of a curve steepener. Um, but you know, at this point, uh, our, our, our you know, concerns are really uh, two things. One, the path of rates from here and what happens with the, the balance sheet. I'll, I'll take the, the rate path first. The Fed really has four scenarios, but in my mind, it's really three. But of the four scenarios, of course, they can hike more if they, you know, so deem uh, they need to. Market so far has probabilities well under 50%. So I don't think that's the case unless things change materially in the next two weeks. They could pause for longer, which is not what I'm expecting, but that could be what they end up doing and they defend their position at, at 5% higher in rates. 
or which you know is my view, which you know our, our readers, readers and listeners should know, but you know really kind of try to help um, you know clarify what the view really is. There's two kind of um, uh, paths towards cuts. One, a short pause, and then there's fast cuts. And if if that were to happen, that really requires another sort of financial accident or some other uh, you know I- you know I- impact from all these Fed tightenings, uh, either. Uh, results in more regional banks coming under pressure or some other part of the financial system that just really cannot handle the higher rates, uh, like non-banks or private credit, private equity. Uh, so that that could be what could be a catalyst for a short pause and then a much faster cutting cycle. But even then, I wouldn't expect them to go back to zero rate policy unless it's a really bad recession. Or four, a gradual easing if we get inflation back closer towards their their target, at which point they would just you know, uh, you know gingerly cut rates at 25 dips every other meeting or something like that. You know, three and four is kind of where I'm at. And so if I blend the two views together, it's what justifies the forecast that I have, just as for those that are <laughs> interested in how I came up with my logic. And then the other thing that the Fed's also doing still is they're shrinking their balance sheet. And one thing which some people call the, the Bernanke doctrine, which is um, you cannot have uh, your, your two levers of policy going in different directions, in other words, you know, the Fed right now has their balance sheet shrinking, which is a form of quantitative tightening, QT. But if they were to start cutting rates but maintain QT in place and also potentially also tweak the RRP, that would be going against, uh, you know, this kind of long-held um, concept that the Fed should not be, you know, going in, in opposite directions with their policy tools. We, we've heard from people on the Fed, you know, Waller and a couple months back saying that that Nothing stops them from cutting rates, but also continuing to shrink the balance sheet. But they've never done that before. So I think you know, those are the things that I have my, my eyes on uh, to see if you know if future policy changes. I doubt we're going to get it in June, but I think it's going to be a topic of discussion over the course of the summer and probably into Jackson Hole, something to look forward to down the road. And I think that that all is going to justify the Fed easing. But it is a you know out of consensus sort of view, relatively speaking. Even though the market has these price priced in, some of the kind of eases have come out. And I, I have, not, I'm not changing my view. I think that you know, eventually, there's, you know, further things are going to break in the financial system because of these rate levels, and QT. That eventually, it's going to force the Fed's hand. Yeah, absolutely. We've already seen, you know, you've been saying for a very long time that rates go up and something breaks. We've obviously seen that happen with, uh, you know, with the regional banks. Um, you know, it certainly is not unreasonable to expect that something could, something else could break, uh, you know, at or around these rate levels as well, especially with QT going on in the background and all that liquidity draining that we discussed, you know, in the in the previous question and answer. Um, so we've gone over the debt ceiling, gone over the Fed, um, you know, a lot to contend with in the coming days and weeks, um, you know, to get some rest over Memorial Day weekend. George, what else are you focused on as markets get ready for what is typically a slow summer, um, although I sort of bet against that this year? Yeah, so you know, again, recapping, um, you know, this rate shock turning into credit crunch is probably in its early innings, and let's see where how far it goes. Uh, you know, we're, we're again these long and variable lags of all this Fed tightening is only really showing up now in our view. The global liquidity draining, which we discussed, plus let's see what kind of debt ceiling resolution we get if it if it comes with less fiscal spending at a time where the economy is decelerating. That's a, that's a risk that, although it won't be like an imminent risk, it still will take out potential growth and slow things down. Um, of course, I'm not going to go into <laughs> commercial real estate, private credit. That's a whole other topic 
that we can look into down the road, but that's still out there. And, and you know, and a new worry that I have is you know, people have been basically calling out, you know, the dollar's demise or de-dollarization and that the dollar's days are numbered. And whenever that happens, I've always found that the dollar manages somehow to always come screaming back and exerting its influence as still the main currency of choice. And at times also, uh, you know, is in high demand when we get into these uh, liquidity withdrawal periods. And so I'm concerned about just overall, you know, gaps in liquidity overseas around the dollar, which might then you know, cause a pretty big rally uh, as there's an you know, overall kind of short bias, either mentally or in positions around uh, dollar views, that that you know, would really just really trigger the risk off and really get this financial conditions tightening problem. It would, it would you know, in short, compound all the things we, just, we discussed. Okay. All right. Well, we will, uh, you know, obviously don't have a crystal ball there, but those are a couple things to to watch out for, um, you know, and, and obvious uh, potential future topics for, uh, for upcoming podcasts. Uh, great stuff as always, George. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you, John. And thank you for listening to the MUFG Global Markets Podcast. Rate, review, and subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And reach out to your MUFG sales rep for any further information. Check back soon for more insights from the Global Markets Research Team.